0: Amen. So as I mentioned last week, we're taking a couple of weeks break from the book of Romans. And we are focusing on some of the core practices and convictions that we have here at Grace Church. Many of you are new to us, and we are thrilled that you're here. We're honored that you would become part of us. And to help you learn more about us, And then also to strengthen all the rest of us in pursuing these, we are going to talk about some of our core convictions and passions. Last week, we talked about worship from Psalm 63. And this week, we're going to talk about, this week and next week, we're talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Let me put spiritual gifts into the broader context. Because Jesus Christ... The Son of God died on the cross paying for sin. When you put your trust in Him, everything changes. All your sins, past, present, future, forgiven. God's love becomes real to you. You know God through Jesus Christ. And God pours His Holy Spirit out upon you. And for the first time, you are experiencing what you were made for. Knowing God, the wonder of knowing God, and the the wonder of that, the life in that, the joy of that so grips your heart that you want to help other people come into the life of knowing God through Jesus. And you want to help others grow more in experiencing that life. So you want to do all you can to help other people. And to help you with that, the scriptures say that God gives us Spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, which are just special abilities that he gives to us. Now, I have found it helpful to distinguish two different kinds of spiritual gifts. Kind of, sort of. Bear with me on this. We'll call one group the less obviously supernatural spiritual gifts. And the other group, the more obviously supernatural spiritual gifts. You'll understand more why I distinguish that in a moment. Less... Obviously, supernatural, spiritual gifts. Every Christian agrees that God gives all of those gifts and is still giving those gifts. So, for example, when you've experienced these, God can give you compassion. to stir that in your heart so you really care for people. Gift of compassion. Gift of encouragement. God can give you an ability to really lift the spirits of the people that are around you. Gift of generosity. God can free you so you just you love to give of your money, of your time to help other people. Gifts of teaching. God can give you the ability to understand a scripture and share it with somebody else so it's strengthening, it's helpful for them. So those are less obviously supernatural spiritual gifts that every believer believes God is still giving to all those who are following Christ. The other group, the more obviously supernatural spiritual gifts, it's a bit more controversial. There are people who love Jesus and love the Bible who believe those gifts aren't still being given today. And there are people who love Jesus and love the Bible who do believe that those gifts are being given today. And so what I want to share with you this morning is why the elders at Grace Church believe that God is still giving those gifts today. Let me give you a little bit of Background. And by the way, more obviously, supernatural spiritual gifts, I'm talking about gifts like prophecy, gifts like tongues, interpretation, those kinds of things. Now, here's my background, just so you know where I'm coming from. I was raised in, in an amazing church in Southern California where I was taught to love Jesus, study the Bible, share my faith, how to disciple others. I mean, it's just. A, powerful, powerful experience for me all the way up through, through high school. So grateful for that church. Now that church did not believe that God was still giving the more obviously supernatural spiritual gifts. Didn't pursue them, didn't call the people to pursue them. All the other gifts, yes, but, but not that gift. Went to university, Then I went to seminary after that, and while in seminary, uh, I, I was able to listen to people share both sides of that issue and read books on both sides, and the more I listened and the more I studied and the more I thought and prayed, I was persuaded that God is still giving all those gifts. I was not persuaded by the reasons people gave for why those were not being given anymore. I was persuaded that God was still giving these gifts but Jan and I had never been in churches where those gifts were pursued. And so on occasion, we would visit churches that did believe those gifts were still being given and um, wanted to visit them, check it out. And, And we left those churches with mixed feelings. On the one hand, we could see that the churches were seeking to pursue these more obviously supernatural gifts, but In many cases, it was clear that they were not pursuing these gifts biblically. They weren't following what Paul lays out, like in 1 Corinthians 14, for example. So we left with mixed feelings, like these things should be happening, but why isn't it being pursued more biblically? Thankfully, God then over the next years had us meet believers and be part of some churches which were pursuing these more supernatural spiritual gifts and pursuing them biblically. That was a wonderful season for us. Just, we saw God do some amazing things. Uh, just one quick story I, I, I just came back into my mind yesterday. I thought I should share this. Uh, there was a young university student from a Jewish background who was bringing his mother to church. So the, the university student had come to faith in Christ, but his mother had not yet. Had been coming to church, just was not persuaded yet about Jesus. And she came forward after one service and said she would like to come by the church offices that week because she had a, a big issue she would like prayer for. And so we made an appointment for her to come, me and some other people at the, at the office. And and the morning she was going to come, I remember I was praying, saying, we want to pray for her, but we want her to meet Jesus, Lord. What should we do? How, what, how can we help her? And the thought that just came into my mind with just the sense of the, the presence of the Lord was, read Isaiah 53 with her. So she arrived, we sat down, gave her Isaiah 53. By the way, Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of Jesus written 800 years before Christ, 800 BC, and it's all about Jesus and his death on the cross, paying for sins. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. So gave her a Bible and so I'm reading Isaiah 53 and she's following along. And about halfway through, I looked up, and there there were just tears streaming down her face. I said, why are you weeping? She said, this is Jesus. This is Jesus in my Old Testament. And that day, she came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I think that that was like a supernatural gift of knowledge, just the Lord saying, do this. And we did it, and he worked in a beautiful way. And we saw many things like that happening during, during that season of our lives. Now, I know that we are from very diverse church backgrounds here at Grace Church. And some of you are probably like, yes, God is still giving all those supernatural spiritual gifts. And others are saying, no, I don't think God is still giving those supernatural spiritual gifts. And see, so here's the deal. Uh, a church can't just ignore that question. We're either going to pursue them or we're not. And thankfully, the elders are all in unity in being convinced that God is still giving those supernatural spiritual gifts. But if you're from a different background, here's my encouragement to you. Just take a deep breath. Give this time. Hear me out this morning. And then you study this for yourself. What's most important is that you study the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Don't take the elders' word for it. We'll try to answer your questions. You can email us, elders at Dhabi.com. We'll get back to you, set up a time to have coffee. We'd love to talk with you about this, but you study this on your own. And we just want you to know, if you conclude after that that God is not still giving these gifts. We're glad to still have you be a part of Grace Church as long as you're not troubled by by what we do here. We try to do things biblically and in order, like Paul lays out. You've seen that happen this morning with Wumi's spiritual gift. But take your time to study and think and and pursue these things on your own in the word. That's what's most important is that you follow the scriptures. But what I want to do this morning is share with you one of the passages that, that I think shows clearly that God is still giving these spiritual gifts. And that is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through fourteen one, which Samantha read for us a few moments ago. Let me give you some background. Paul wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians. Where did that come from? Around AD 49, Paul came to Corinth, which was a very prosperous harbor town, a Roman city, uh, on the, on the, I think it's the Aegean Sea there, uh, prosperous and sinful. And Paul came there and every Saturday he went to the synagogue. And when they let him preach, he preached about Jesus. And when they didn't, he talked to people afterwards about Jesus. But every Saturday he was there at the synagogue talking in some way about Jesus. And many, many came to faith in Christ. Including the leader of the synagogue. Amazing. And Paul stayed there for 18 months in Corinth preaching not just in the synagogue, but, but out in the marketplace. And many came to faith. A church was established over those 18 months. Then Paul left and went to Ephesus to go do the same thing there. And while Paul was gone, the church at Corinth continued, and it grew strong in some areas, and it grew weak in other areas. And one of the areas it grew weak in was the way it was pursuing spiritual gifts. The problem was that they weren't pursuing them out of love. It wasn't for the sake of benefiting other people, blessing other people. As If you read the passage carefully, it seems like they were pursuing these gifts to, to look good. Like, I'm, I'm the guy who's got prophecy this morning, or whatever it might have been. It wasn't for the sake of love. Remember, Paul says if you speak, prophesy, but don't have love, you're like a clanging cymbal or a crashing gong. Remember, it's like it's worse than nothing, friend. So, Love is what's important, and that's what Paul is talking about here in this passage. He wants to help, actually, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, he wants the church to understand love is the goal. We pursue gifts because of love. Change your attitude, change your heart. My brothers and sisters of the church in Corinth, that's his message there. So let's look at, start with chapter 13, verse 8, and the question I want to have us focus on is, what is more important than love? spiritual gifts. You already know what the answer is. It's love, but look at how Paul says that in verse 8. What's more important than supernatural spiritual gifts? Love never ends, Paul says. As for prophecies, they will pass away. That gift will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. That, That gift will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So Paul wants them to understand love is what's most important. Love is more important than spiritual gifts. Love lasts forever. Spiritual gifts will cease. And here Paul mentions three spiritual gifts, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. Let's start with prophecies. Prophecy is where God brings a thought into your mind, which he wants you to share publicly with other people for their benefit. It's a word from, from, from God. Now, this can be a bit confusing, and it's really important that you understand this next point, And that is, we know that the Old Testament had prophets, like Isaiah, like Jeremiah, and they wrote Scripture, God's very words in the book, the Bible. So Old Testament prophets wrote Scripture. But New Testament prophecies are not Scripture. Those who wrote scripture in the New Testament are called what? Apostles. Never are they called prophets. A change has happened. New Testament prophets do not write scripture. They do not bring scripture authorized inspired truth. They bring words from God for local situations, different specific settings, but it needs to be evaluated by the scripture. New Testament prophecy comes, here's the Bible, New Testament prophecy comes under the Bible, and you can tell if something is a word we want to pay heed to because it's, in, it's consistent with the Bible. Are we clear? Okay, don't do this, okay? Bibles here, any New Testament, any spiritual gifts are to be weighed and evaluated by the scripture. That is fundamental, that is rock solid. That's what we must do. So don't be confused about the New Testament gift of prophecy. It's not equal to Scripture. It's evaluated by Scripture, but God brings great benefit through the gift of prophecy. For example, Acts chapter 11, the Holy Spirit gives Agabus a word of prophecy for the church there in Antioch, I think is where it was. Namely, a famine is going to come, which is going to cause great hardship to our brothers and sisters uh, in the church in Jer- churches in Jerusalem. And so the church paid heed to that word of prophecy and obeyed that. And they took a collection and they started sending money down to the churches at Jerusalem. And they, those churches were powerfully blessed. I mean, think of how thankful the churches in Jerusalem would have been for God giving Agabus, that word of prophecy, which caused the church to give money to them. Beautiful how this works. So that's just an example of, of the benefits that can come from the gift of prophecy. So prophecy is where God brings a thought into your mind with some, usually some sense of his presence, just to confirm that, and then you, you obviously weigh it with Scripture, but as you share it with other people, they get benefit from it, like what Agabus did. That's prophecy. Paul also mentions tongues. Tongues is where God gives you the ability to pray um, with words you don't understand in a language you've never learned. It could be a foreign language, it could be an unknown language. End of chapter 12 of First Corinthians Paul makes it clear that not everybody receives the gift of tongues. Um, it's not what the Bible teaches. Praying in tongues is not the sign that you're saved. I would guess that some of you have been taught that in your in your past churches. I would urge you to rethink that. Tongues is not how you can tell somebody's been saved. It's not the sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not the sign that you're filled with the Spirit. It's a beautiful gift. Okay, but God doesn't give this to every believer. Not because the ones who have it are more special. No, it's just, it's one of the beautiful gifts that God gives. Tongues is not the ultimate spiritual experience. Those who have the gift of tongues, when they pray in tongues, they are strengthened and encouraged. But if you don't have the gift of tongues, you'll be strengthened and encouraged in a lot of other ways, just like those who speak in tongues are strengthened and encouraged. So God, we all get strengthened and encouraged. There will also be times when God is bringing you or leading you to pray in tongues where he's stirring you that you should speak these words publicly. And when that comes, God's will is that that be interpreted. So he will give someone in the group the interpretation so that everybody can get the benefit of hearing what it is that the Holy Spirit has been stirring you to pray. That's that's the gift of tongues. Paul also mentions knowledge, the gift of knowledge. Interesting, he says, knowledge will pass away. So that, that can't just refer to knowledge in general. I mean, if all of our knowledge is gone, then we're gone, kind of. Uh, it also can't just be like general spiritual knowledge, because obviously in heaven there's going to be lots of spiritual knowledge. So what kind of knowledge is Paul talking about here? He's talking about a supernatural gift of knowledge that pertains to a specific situation, it's something God wants you to do. Like, like when, when I had that sense that we should read Isaiah 53 to the woman who who came into our church offices. Supernatural knowledge. Another example from the Bible is in Acts chapter 8. I love this story. Jan and I were just reading this a little while back Been going through Acts, but where Philip gets this direction from the Holy Spirit, I'm supposed to go to this desert road. And imagine if all of a sudden this thought came, go to the road to Swayhan." It's like Why? (laughs) Philip might have said, why? Well, he went out there, and you know the story. He met an Ethiopian government official who was in a chariot reading, what was he reading? Isaiah 53. Trying to think about, who is this about? And Philip comes up, and he says, could you explain this to me? So Philip gets up in the chariot, explains, this is Jesus, leads the Ethiopian government official to the Lord, baptizes him. What an amazing story. That's how God can work supernatural gifts of knowledge where he directs you by the Holy spirit for something he wants you to do. So here in verse eight, Paul's talking about prophecy and tongues and the supernatural gift of knowledge. And his point is love should fuel those motivate those stir those. If there's no love, get love first Gifts without love do nothing. Love is the most important. So Grace Church, what's most important? It's love. And then flowing out of love, we can pursue the gifts. That's that's Paul's point there in verse 8. And he tells us the reason love is more important is because those more obviously supernatural gifts will all cease at some point. They will stop at some point. So the question is, when? When will those gifts stop? That's my next question. When will these supernatural gifts cease? And Paul tells us in verses 9 and 10, look at what he says. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When will these more obviously supernatural spiritual gifts cease? It's when the perfect comes. That's when they cease. So what is the perfect? And when does it come? That's the question, right? And there are two main answers. Some believers who love Jesus and love the scriptures have concluded that the perfect is the completion of the New Testament scriptures, which took place late in the first century. At the time Paul is writing this letter, the Old Testament scriptures were already completed. The New Testament scriptures started to be written just a few years after Christ rose from the dead and continued to be written until the last apostle died late in the first century. And so some believers who love Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit and I've got wonderful friends who who believe this. this is not my conviction, but they believe that the perfect is the completion of the scriptures, which takes place at the end of the first century. And if that's the case, if the perfect refers to the completion of scripture, and if the more supernatural spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues pass away when the perfect comes, then that means those gifts have already passed away. See how that works, Right they would have already stopped at the end of the first century. They stopped at that point, and they're not being given anymore. So that's, again, people who dearly love the Lord, some of you, I'm assuming, have that as your conviction. It's a possibility. The other possibility is, and these these believers who love Jesus and love the Bible also believe this one, the perfect doesn't refer to the completion of Scripture at the end of the first century, but it refers to the second coming of christ at the end of history see what a huge difference that would make because if the perfect is the second coming of christ at the end of history and if that's when those more supernatural spiritual gifts stop then they're still being given now see how that works nobody's nodding okay i think it's clear if the perfect is the completion of Scripture at the end of the first century, and if that's when the gifts stop, then they're no longer being given now. But if the perfect is the second coming of Christ at the end of history, and if that's when those gifts stop, then they're still being given now. So big difference here, as you can see. So which is it? Is the perfect the completion of Scripture, end of the first century? Or is the perfect the second coming of Christ at the end of history? Paul helps us answer that question in verses 11 and 12. What Paul does is he gives two illustrations describing the profound change that takes place in believers when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, big change happens to believers. And Paul describes that in verses 11 and 12. So we can look at these illustrations and ask, does that does that change describe what happened when scripture was given? end of the first century? Or does that change describe the second coming of Christ at the end of history, the change that happens then? So let's take a look. First illustration, let's ask this question. When do believers change from being less spiritually mature to being more spiritually mature? That's what Paul says happens when the perfect comes in verse 11. Look at what he says, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Children are immature in the way they speak, in the way they think, in the way they reason. When children become adults, they become mature. Think differently, reason differently, speak differently. And Paul says that before the perfect comes, believers are less mature spiritually than they are when perfect comes. Before the perfect comes, believers are less mature spiritually. Once the perfect has come, believers are more mature spiritually. So does that fit the coming of scripture best? Or does that fit the second coming best? Let's start with the completion of scripture. If the perfect is the completion of the Bible, then Paul would be saying that late first century, when scripture was completed, at that point, believers changed from being less spiritually mature to us believers now after that being more spiritually mature. So that would mean that we today, believers in general, are more spiritually mature than believers in the first century church. Is that true? Are Are believers today, generally speaking, more spiritually mature than like believers in the book of Acts? I think if we're honest, we'd say, well, believers today are mature and not so mature. And back then, believers were mature and not so mature. I mean, as I think about that, it's not like we are up here with maturity and and the believers in the book of Acts were down here. It doesn't work. But now let's ask the same question in regard to the second coming. Is it the case that before the second coming, believers are less spiritually mature than we will be once Jesus returns? Oh, that's going to happen, right? We are transformed. We become sinless. We become glorified in Christ, our Savior. We will be completely transformed from being less spiritually mature to being more mature. And so I think, you, you consider this, that Understanding the perfect as the second coming of Christ fits that analogy better. Because if it's the coming of scripture, that means that the first century believers were like infants compared to us today. And I don't think that that works. And it totally works when you compare us today and what we will be after Christ comes back. That's the first illustration. Second illustration When do believers change from seeing God dimly to seeing Him face-to-face? Paul says that's what happens when the perfect comes. So what he says in verse 12. Verse 12 says this, For now, before the perfect comes, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, when the perfect comes, we see face-to-face. Now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's an amazing statement. And notice that phrase face-to-face. That's a statement used in the scriptures to describe knowing God, seeing God, beholding his glory. That's what's talking about with being face-to-face here. And so Paul is saying that, before the perfect comes, God's people see God dimly, but after the perfect comes, they see God face to face. So does that fit the second coming of, uh, sorry, the completion of Scripture at the end of the first century? Or does that fit the second coming of Christ at the end of history? Which does that fit better? Let's think about the completion of Scripture. Is it the case that at the end of the first century, when scripture was completed, that at that point, believers moved from seeing God through a mirror dimly to seeing him face to so face? So we see God face to face now compared to what the first century believers saw of God. Does that work? I don't think so. Um, I don't think Paul saw God less clearly than I do. Uh, It just doesn't work for me, let alone the rest of the believers. But now think about the second coming. Is it the case that before the second coming, we see God through a mirror dimly, but when Jesus returns, we are going to see him face to face? Is that true? That's totally true. And I think I'm being objective here. Uh, But it's true. When Christ returns, you are going to experience seeing God's glory in Christ like never before. The mirrors in first century were kind of brass, and you know they they weren't really not like mirrors today. And you could kind of see that looks like me, kinda okay. And and that's what our lives are like now. When we have the scriptures, beautiful, clear scriptures, okay, but. But we don't see God face-to-face as we will when Jesus comes back. That's going to change everything. So which fits this analogy best? I I think it's to take the perfect as the second coming of Christ. If it's the completion of Scripture, then there's not that big of a change from those first-century Christians. They just saw God dimly, but... Now we see him face to face. So that that fits much better that all believers before the second coming see God dimly. And after the second coming, we will all see him face to face. And oh, friends, won't that be the day? Falling at his feet, worshiping, dancing, praising, weeping, laughing, worshiping together. That's coming. That is coming. And I I think that's what Paul is talking about with the perfect. So this passage persuades me that the more supernatural spiritual gifts are going to cease. That's clear. They will stop one day. And this passage persuades me that the time when those gifts will stop is when Jesus comes back. And if the time when those gifts stop is when Jesus comes back, then that means God is still giving them today. That's, that's my conviction. Now, again, people who love Jesus and love the Bible can come to different conclusions, and we can all love each other, right? Love is more important than spiritual gifts, and we want to love each other and be in unity in Christ together, but each church has to decide what they're going to do, and so the elders, this is the direction that we believe God's calling Grace Church to move in. Like I said earlier, if you come to a different conclusion, we are welcome You're very welcome here. We would love to have you here. And the most important thing is for you to do some studying on your own. But I wanted to share, this is one passage that persuades me that these gifts have not stopped yet. And if they haven't stopped yet, that means God is still giving them. And so part of my burden is, I know, we need all the help we can get, especially in this part of the world, in this city. We need all the help we can get to advance the gospel here. I want every weapon God's given to us. And if he's still giving us these gifts, then, oh, let's pray for them. Let's, let's ask God to give them to us so we can strengthen each other to, to move out into our workplaces and out into our neighborhoods and shine with Jesus and speak the truth. And let's go out into our workplaces, not into the neighborhoods, and be, go to the road to Swayhan. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm going, or whatever, whatever God might do. So what does this mean for us? That's the analogy. That's the picture, the perfect coming. That's why I think the perfect coming makes more sense as the second coming of Christ. So what does this mean for us? Look at verses 13 and then the first verse of chapter 14. Verse 13 Paul says, so now faith, hope and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. Paul's back to Okay now yes all that about spiritual gifts but love is most important faith hope and love abide so why is love the greatest there's lots of different possible answers let me just throw one out for your consideration faith has the goal of producing love galatians 5:6 faith works itself out in love and hope produces love colossians 1:3 and 4 we love because of the hope we have So faith and hope have their purpose to produce love in our hearts. And that's why love is greatest, because it's the purpose. It's what faith and hope are for, to produce love. But Paul's point here is love is the greatest. Love is the most important. And the reason Paul wants to, again, highlight the importance of love is because the church at Corinth was neglecting love and pursuing spiritual gifts to vaunt themselves or whatever it might have been. Now I want to make sure that we understand that love is the most important thing. Love is the most important thing. We pursue gifts for the sake of love, because we love, because we care, because we want to help, not to look good, not to impress anybody. That's clanging gong and crashing cymbal stuff. Better than nothing, worse than nothing. We want to pursue these gifts out of love. And so then verse 1 of chapter 14, here's Paul's conclusion. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Just look at those commands one at a time. Pursue love, number one. Some of you maybe aren't yet followers of Christ. You're, You're not yet trusting Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you to start here. And the way you pursue love is to have your faith placed in Jesus Christ, and your hope placed in Jesus Christ. Once you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and as your Lord, and as your treasure, you'll be completely forgiven, transformed to God's life, God's love pouring into your heart, and you will want other people to come into the joy you have of knowing God. It all starts with faith and hope in Jesus Christ. If you're not yet a follower, and if you are a follower, that's where it starts as well. Nurture faith, nurture hope, That'll spark love. Pursue love. Pursue love. And then flowing out of love, Grace Church, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's a strong word. Earnestly desire. What's something that you earnestly desire? It's like passionate yearning and longing. And why would we passionately yearn for and long for spiritual gifts? It's for the sake of love. That's why. If, if we can get money to a church that's going through a famine, Lord, bring that word of prophecy. If I can go out and talk to somebody in a desert road and lead a government official, lead them to faith in Christ, Lord, direct me. So pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. That's what Paul's calling us to do here. Pray for gifts. Long for gifts. Pursue them. Seek God for them. And then number three, especially desire that you may prophesy. Read the rest of 1 Corinthians 14 and you'll see why prophecy is so important. It is very important. So especially desire the gift of prophecy. Okay, let's just take an example. Let's say that this week you're Getting sometimes to seek the Lord, you've got the Scriptures open. You're praying, you're reading, you're worshiping, you're studying, and it's and, and, right. Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Lord, I pray. If you have anything for Grace Church for me, give it to me now. And you're you're there. You're praying, and maybe that time when you pray, all of a sudden, just the sense of the presence of the Lord and this burning in your heart, like we need to pray for our unsaved neighbors and friends and work associates more. We need to pray more for the lost people in our lives. We've been maybe getting a little bit lax in that, and there's just a sense of the, of the Holy Spirit upon you, and it's like, share this with the church. And I don't know what happens if it's like, not me, right? Isn't that how we all respond? Uh, who, who is that for? Okay, but you're not going to respond that way. You're going to say, that's right, First 1 Corinthians 14.1, for the sake of love for the sake of love. And so what do you do? Well, next Sunday, come on up and share with me what God's put upon your heart and and I'll confirm with you that that's that's biblical and maybe we're in the service or maybe it's something that we want the elders to pray for. Maybe there's more special way we can do it, but we will share with you how that gift can be used to benefit the church. That's how it works. It's very simple. So, Grace Church, pursue love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's stand. I want to pray for us. Father, for those here who are not yet trusting Christ, who are not yet forgiven, who don't yet know your life and your love, please, right now, melt away the barriers, the doubts, the fears, whatever it might be, and save them, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, for those here who are not so sure about the fact that you're still giving these supernatural spiritual gifts, I just pray you'd bless them as they study, as they read. Lord, you are so good, you're so faithful. Your word is what's most important. So bless them as they do that, I pray. And Lord, for us as a church, we want to see Christ magnified in the city. We want to see the city filled with the gospel. We want to see our brothers and sisters around us strong and thriving and glorifying you and advancing the gospel in every way. So Lord, help us to pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy.